the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The knowable will of God is what our focus is supposed to be on, not sometimes those things we're not so sure about. It's right here in our Bible, and it's my job, your job, to learn it and to mix what we learn with faith. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. The children of Israel were preparing to leave Egypt, the land of their enslavement. God was giving them instruction for how they should go about their journey. He told them to sanctify themselves and their belongings, to be ready for God's use. God also told them to remember the works He had done for them, that they should serve as a reminder of His power and love towards all people. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 13, verse 11. Verse 11. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring you into the land of Canaanites, as he swear unto you and to your fathers, and shall give it to you, that you shall set apart unto the Lord all that opens the matrix, or the womb, and every firstling that comes of a beast which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of a donkey, you shall redeem it with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among your children shall you redeem. And it shall be when your son asks, you in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say unto him? Well, by strength of the hand of the Lord, he brought us out from Egypt from the house of bondage. So while he's on the topic of reminders, he explains that the sanctification of the firstborn serves the same function. That anytime your animal had a firstborn animal, or you had a firstborn male son, sorry ladies, you didn't count, but if you had a firstborn son, then you had to redeem him from the Lord. Some animals could be sacrificed to the Lord. Others would have to be redeemed, like the donkey, since it was an unclean animal. But your firstborn son would also need to be redeemed if you didn't want him to go into the priesthood. According to Numbers 18.16, the redemption price would be five shekels. That's about the price for two weeks in a hotel. It's a good chunk of change. Figure out how much you spent on a two-week vacation. That's probably what the cost was. Now, you might be thinking, but wait a second, Will, I thought the Levites were the priests. True. But remember we read earlier in Numbers, that was the original plan. Something will happen later in Exodus where the Levites will be chosen instead of the firstborn. So this makes it so all the firstborn need to be redeemed. And that's what would happen. If you had a firstborn son, you had to redeem him because the Levites would serve as the priests instead. But I love this, the constant reminder, verse 14 again. It shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Why do we have to bring, you know, Fluffy's first lamb? Why do we have to bring him to the temple and sacrifice him? Why is this? You shall say unto him, well, by strength of a hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. The same two reminders again. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all that opens the matrix, being males. But all the firstborn of my children, I redeem. And it shall be for a token or a sign upon your hand and frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. Anytime the Lord repeats something, it's because we need to get it because we don't get it a lot. The frontlets, again, it was usually like a a band that was worn around the head as a reminder 
It was also known as a phylactery in Jesus' day. They would have, you know, Jesus would critique them because he'd say, you wear these big boxes, you know? You wear these big boxes on your head. And like, wow, they really love the Bible. They got, you know, how many scriptures can you fit in that thing? It's, you know, carrying that around, it's got to weigh on your head. Problem is, they didn't even know it was inside of it. Jesus critiqued them. He said, you wear these phylacteries, these massive phylacteries, but you don't do anything that's in there. He said, don't be like those guys. So I'm not telling you to take down all the verses in your house, but just make sure you're living by them. Or make sure at least they're in your heart that that's your desire and they're not just there for show. First truth is sanctify. Realize we are a royal priesthood set apart unto him. We need to live our lives in such a way. Secondly, remember, remember, remember. Our old life is slavery. Don't ever go back there. Remember that God delivered us by a strong arm. He's gonna see us through all our troubles now as well. But number the third truth is this. We need to follow him. The third truth is follow. Verse 17 And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed up out of the land of Egypt. So here we find that God calls them to follow him. And the first thing that we learn about this is that God's path is very gracious. Now, it's not always the obvious path. Verse 17 says, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, even though that was near. That was the closest path to get to the promised land. That route would hug the northern coast along the sea and was part of the International Coastal Highway covering over a 1,000 miles from Egypt all the way to Asia Minor and Mesopotamia. But it was also the major military route or the Egyptians. It was heavily garrisoned by Egyptian troops. And it passed through Gaza. That's why it's called the land of the Philistines. The Egyptian, Gaza was the Egyptian provincial capital on the edge of Canaan. It was usually their launching pad for all military campaigns into Canaan or Syria. So taking this route meant you're either fighting the Egyptians or you're fighting Canaanites right from the get-go. And Israel was not ready for that. God is so gentle. He is so gracious. And he says, I'm not going to take them that way. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent, change their mind, when they see war and they return to Egypt. We read in our scripture reading that God knows our frame, right? That we're simply dust, right? We're simply dust. You know, we get reminders of that in our life. We just think, I'm not all that, Lord. I thought I had it figured out, but I'm not all that. And he knows that. You know, sometimes we think we catch God by surprise. Sometimes we do. We think we go, God, I failed, and I I let you down, and you know, I I can't believe I did it. And the Lord says, well, I can. I remember hearing Pastor Romain, he's with the Lord now, and, and it's the first time I ever heard him speak. And he said, God expects you to do one thing. Fail. (laughs) And he was a military guy. He didn't pull any punches. God expects you to do one thing. Fail. Because he knows our frame. He knows that we're simply dust. It's why he died for us in the first place. We need a Savior every single day. So he knows this. He's not taken surprised by it. He is so gentle and he knows us better than we do. Lord, I'll never deny your name either. These losers might, but I'll never deny you. And Jesus is like, Peter... Before the cock grows, you'll have denied me three times. Before the morning's even started, you'll have already denied me three times, man. You ever had a day like that? 
You get up and you know you just want to redo, start over, rewind, because it's already ruined and I'm only like 20 minutes into it. You, know, you get up and I don't, for me, this is how this normally works. This is probably what will happen tomorrow. I will come lumbering out of bed and the kids will have be on their devices or whatever without having done their chores or started school or whatever it might be. And then, you know, you're why on your devices, you know, have you cleaned your room? Have you made your bed? Have you swept the kitchen? Have you this? Have you that? Have you done school? What's 99 times 84? I want it now. And, you know, and then, no, no, we haven't. Go sweep the floor, do this. And then, you know, you lumber back in and you're like, and then the Lord's like, that was great. <laughs> and you know, it settles in. You're like, that was my good morning, <laughs> you know? And you realize what you've done. I mean, from a righteousness standpoint, I'm correct. But is that really the way I want to greet my kids in the morning? No. And so you sit there and you go, can we start over? I'd really, really like to wake up and have that be the nightmare. The Lord knows. He knows our frame. He's gentle, knows us better than we do. Keep this in mind when God is closing the doors, which would take you on the shortest path to your goal. Keep that in mind. Because sometimes he knows there's going to be a lot of wars over here and you're not ready for them. And so he's going to take you on a different route. Better to be led by God on a seemingly longer route than the shorter path against his leading. Verse 18. So instead, God led the people about. (laughs) There's two ways you could translate that. The word there means in circles. And there's times you wonder, like, God, where are you taking me? Because it feels like circles. But the cool part is it also means to surround. Aren't you glad that the Lord surrounds you even when you don't know where you're going? He surrounds us. And we'll see how he surrounded Israel in verses 20 and 21. We won't do that just yet. But he surrounds them and he leads them about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Now the area in mind here is the western finger of the Red Sea, which is now known as the Gulf of Suez. Some try to say the location was Lake Timsa or another lesser body of water north of here. If you go on Google Maps, you can actually look at all this stuff. But that doesn't make any sense to me. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm Pharaoh or the Egyptian army and I... I'm at Lake Timsa or a smaller body of water, and I see the, you know, the Israelites going through it. I'm like, <laughs> hey, General so-and-so, take half my army and go to the other side. Let's see how long they can stay in there. That's what I would do. On the other hand, if it's the Gulf of Suez, you can't do that. It's too big. And when you consider the fact that it took them all night to walk through that, it would only probably take them an hour or two to walk through Lake Timsa or some other thing there. So I tend to think, It was a much larger body of water than that. Well, it mentions that the children of Israel, they followed him. They went up, harnessed out of the land of Egypt. The word there, harnessed, means in fifths. And some believe this refers to the marching of ranks of five, in ranks of five. That was a common military formation that caravans would use to ward off robbers. It would make them think that they were military. Um, I, I can imagine a group of two million people strong marching in military formation probably kept most everyone at bay. Well, not only is God's path gentle, but it's one of faith. Verse 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly, that's Joseph, had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. There's lots of cool moments in the Bible where you kind of go, oh, I remember that. 
And this is one of the coolest ones of those. Centuries earlier in Genesis 50, 24 through 26, the last few verses of Genesis, Joseph had given a commandment in faith that God would keep his promise and bring his people back into the land. I tell you, that must have been the coolest casket I've ever seen in my life. Could you imagine how awesome it was for Israel to see that casket every day that they traveled? To be reminded that others trusted God, and even though those people didn't see the promise fulfilled in their day, it was fulfilled. So you and I must never forget the things that God has promised, even if they don't happen in our day. You say, well, like what, Will? What is a struggle for us? Well, probably the most obvious one is Jesus is coming back, amen? But sometimes you wonder. You think, man, it's been 2,000 years almost, and it's been 1,900 and however many years it's been. Is he really coming back? It's easy to lose faith and to lose heart. Turn over to 2 Peter 3 with me, though. In 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 4, he says, This second letter, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir you up, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, another reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Listen, man, Jesus ain't coming back. Everything's been going on the way it's been going for all these years. There's no supernatural God coming back to the earth. They'll scoff. They'll mock it. There are even Christians today who mock it. But God keeps his promises. Look at verse 8, same chapter. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why has it happened yet? Because God's still bringing people into the kingdom. But, verse 10 says, as the day of the, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. All this is going to go and fade away. Verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, in the way you live your life, a holy life, and godliness, looking for and hasting unto, who cares what the scoffers say? We're looking for and hasting unto, hoping it comes quick, the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He waits to save more. In the meantime, how should we then live in light of that fact that he's coming back? You know, God keeps his promises. His path is one of faith. We need to trust him because he always comes through. He always answers, even if it's not in our lifetime. Well, thirdly, we need to follow because God's presence always goes with us. Verse 20 in chapter 13 of Exodus. And they took their journey from Sakoth, that first camp, and then they encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, from before the people. Now, if they would have kept going east, Etham was the last watering place in Egypt before they would hit the desert region of the Sinai Peninsula. It was about 12 miles northwest of the Suez Gulf. So they stop here, their very next journey, 
if they keep going east, is going to take them into the desert. When we get to chapter 14, we see that God's going to have them turn around. But here we see that how did the Lord direct them? How did they know which way to go? Well, it says in verse 21, he went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. So in the initial stage of their journey, they traveled at night too, not just during the day. And God illuminated the path by manifesting his glory physically. The word there, pillar, it says it means a cloudy column. Now, Exodus 14.20 describes this cloudy column as having a dark side and a bright one. Exodus 14.20 says, and it, the pillar, the cloudy column, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, the Israelites, so that the one came not near the other all the night. So it's not that all of a sudden, you know, at 6 p.m., the the pillar of cloud ignited. Like, you know, it's not like all of a sudden it was like, nice, happy, fluffy cloud, (laughs) fire, you know. That's not what happened at 6 p.m. or whenever the sun went down. We should not presume that the cloud burst into flames at 6 p.m. and then extinguished itself in the morning. The fiery side was the one that guided them at night, and the smoky side did so during the day, but they were there's fire and smoke the whole time. This description I find interesting because it's very similar to the one Ezekiel has of God's chariot throne in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. You can read that on your own time. So, verse 22, he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, from before the people, his presence always was with them, and his presence always goes with us. Now, it's easy to read about God guiding his people like this and think, man, I wish God would do that for me. I mean, wouldn't it be cool? Like, God, you know, if you want me to talk to this person, you know, do the smoky side, and if you know, if no, no, do the fire. Think, you know, that would be easier. We would know exactly what to do. But the truth is... God did do that for us. In fact, he did so in an even greater way than a cloudy pillar. He became one of us. In John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, even the glory of the only begotten of the Father. We did, and we can when we open his word. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, the same exact language is used of the incarnation. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, it says, God, who at sundry times, in many ways, and in various manners, spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. But he has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and by whom he made the worlds. This one who is the heir of all things and who made all things, it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image or the mirror image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Everything you and I need to know about God's leading is right in our Bible. Exodus 14 verse 1. Now we know prior to this point that God has brought them to the edge of the desert of Arabia. They just have to go and take a few steps east and they will be in, out of Egypt and into the land of freedom, an area where Egypt will have no sway. But it's in that place that the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, verse 2 of chapter 14, speak unto the children of Israel that they turn, or literally turn around or change direction. They're right on the border of leaving Egypt, all the slavery. Why turn around? Well, as we're going to see in a moment, God knows something they do not know. And that is frequently the case in our lives. You see, sometimes we come and we say, God, you know, this is the direction I got. I should go. This is the best way to go. And the Lord says, not this time. And you say, why, God? Why? Why? Why can't I go this way? This is the easiest way, the best way, most efficient way. And the Lord says, I know something you don't know. I know something you don't know. But not only does God turn them around, he tells them to go to the strangest of destinations. It says here, speaking to the 
children of Israel that they turn around, go in a different direction, and camp before Pihahiroth between Migdol and the sea, over against or opposite Baal Zephon. And before it, Baal Zephon, you shall encamp next to the sea. Instead of taking the land route into the desert, God tells him to go southwest and then back east to the shores of the Red Sea with a mountain range to the north that they'll be facing, Baal Zephon, and another mountain range to the south, Pi-ha-hiroth. They are literally in a place where the only way out is the way they came in. God leads them to a dead end. Now, because the Suez Gulf region is drastically different today than in antiquity, pinpointing the exact location where they were is impossible. Most believe that the Suez finger of the Red Sea stretched much farther to the north. And we know that the Mediterranean border of Egypt used to be much further south. In actuality, now what we look at as a big, huge land connection between the Sinai Peninsula and Egypt was really just an isthmus back then between Egypt and the Arabian Desert. And there are three mountain ranges in that region, but even that's unreliable because of desert encroachment and erosion. But while we don't know the exact location, a few things are very clear. Number one, God tells Israel to go to a dead end. And when they, number two, when they arrive, they're going to be encamped in the worst possible military position one could choose with the sea to your back and two mountains to the side with the only entrance, the way you exit, the way you came in. Why go there in the first place? You know, I have frequently wondered what some of the Israelites were thinking as they pulled into this dead end corner and their vulnerability became clearer. I hope God knows what he's doing because <laughs> I'm not sure why we're here. Well, they knew why they were there because God tells him. God knew exactly what he was doing. Because whatever the Israelites felt as they approached this dead end, God had already told them why he brought them here. He was setting Egypt up to deal with them in such a way that they would never trouble this group again. Verse 3, God explains, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, ha, they're entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host or his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And then they did so. The Israelites followed God's directions and they went into that dead end area. So the idea is that God knows that when they get into this dead end area, that Pharaoh is going to say about them, they're entangled in the land of the wilderness. The word they're entangled means to wander around in confusion with no clear destination. Pharaoh was consider them trapped in the desert region, a prime target for his army. And God is going to strengthen that thinking. That's what it means to harden, to confirm or strengthen. He's going to strengthen this thinking of Pharaoh to the place where he comes out for a final confrontation with Jehovah God. And in that, the Lord said, I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Why would God need to do this? I mean, didn't the plagues prove his superiority to all the Egyptian deities? Yes, but one thing remained for Egypt to trust in, their own strength, their army. See, in the end, after God had dealt with all their idols, there was one final idol left to be conquered, the idol of self, the first and most sinister false god of all. For isn't that where it all started? Isn't that where the whole problem began back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, the enemy came to Eve and he said, hey, has God said that you shall not eat of you know, every tree? And he said, no, we can eat of every tree. We just can't eat of this tree. Oh no, God's lying to you. He's actually holding back on you. For in the, he knows in the day that you eat of it, what will happen? God said, you'll die. Satan says, you'll be like God. The very first idol, the idol of self that I am my own God, I am my own master. That was the last deity that God had to take care of with Egypt. 
I don't know about you. Yes, there's things we come across and the Bible doesn't say, Will, go share the gospel with, you know, that guy over there and say it like this. I understand that. But the Bible does say this. Go and make disciples of every creature, right? I can't imagine that most of the time the answer would be no. (laughs) The answer most of the time is going to be yes. We have so many things in here that God has already clearly told us to do. We get hung up on things that aren't in here, but we're not doing the things that are, at least maybe you are, but I struggle with doing the things that are in here. The knowable will of God is what our focus is supposed to be on, not sometimes those things we're not so sure about. It's right here in our Bible. And it's my job, your job, to learn it and to mix what we learn with faith. For Hebrews 4, 1 and 2 says, Let us therefore fear or have a good, healthy reverence, lest a promise left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. He's referring to the, the people who came out of Egypt. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So, sanctify your life for his use. Set it apart for his use. Say, Lord, here's my life. Take it. I want my life to be set apart for you. Number two, remember what he saved you from and don't go back. Remember his power and step out forward. Follow his lead wherever that may be, right? Because he is strong enough. We sang it today. He is mighty to save. Amen? Let's all stand. Would you join me in prayer as the worship team comes forward to close us out. Lord, three beautiful truths that Moses shared as they're about to embark on this journey. To sanctify themselves, Lord, to remember what you have done, to implant it in their mind, to never forget it, and to follow your lead, wherever that may be, even if it's on the longer route or the route that doesn't seem to make as much sense right away, even on a route that leads us to the edge of the desert and then tells us to turn around and to park ourselves in a corner where the Egyptians can get us. Lord, to trust you, knowing that you love us. Lord, we want that tonight. We give ourselves to you and we ask you to sanctify us. Lord, set us apart for your use. In Jesus' name, amen. As we journey through life, we must remember the wonderful things the Lord has done for us. We must also keep in mind that he has set us apart to be used by him. And finally, know that God will move in our lives as we wait on him. Even when things make no sense, we must trust God. Should you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.